All right, Christine Altavilla is up here, and she's going to read uh, Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Christine, go ahead. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them. Because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many away from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? All right. Thank you, Christine. We started a series on Malachi to start the new year, and uh, it's an interesting language used uh, throughout this book. Um, It's a fascinating story that takes place in the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and it's between him and Peter. Peter's one of his disciples, one of his closest friends, one of the inner three. And they get to this conversation, and it kind of becomes intense. And at one moment, Jesus calls Peter a name. He actually calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Can't imagine what that would be like. If you ever are called a name by someone, it never feels good, especially when it's someone close. But imagine being called such a name by the Son of God. Ouch. Kind of harsh words from Jesus to Peter. It's not the first time. Jesus calls someone names. In Matthew chapter 23, there's a story about Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day. And he has a bunch of kind of mean names for them. He he says that they're like a blind guide. He says they're like whitewashed tombs. He calls them serpents and vipers. You read through that and you think, wow, that's harsh. This, the Jesus who also says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Harsh words from this, the Jesus who uh, is willing to to get down onto the level of someone who's untouchable and touch them, a leper, having compassion on them. This, the Jesus who uh, is, is brought, a woman who is found in adultery is brought to him, and he doesn't condemn her. But he has compassion and grace and love 
for her. This Jesus that we know so well that is the personification of love, the love of God in this world. And yet he has these harsh words for Peter and for the Pharisees. What is that? What is going on here with Jesus using such language? So you kind of read through the life of Jesus, you find that um, oftentimes some of his most harshest words are towards the religious leaders. They're towards people that should know better and aren't acting the way that they should. Not only these people, they should know better, but they're in positions of authority and they're using their authority to actually take advantage and harm others. These are the type of people that Jesus has these harsh words for. And it's heavy. And it can kind of sound angry. And it's uncomfortable because this isn't necessarily the Jesus that we've just fallen in love with. When we get to a passage like this in Malachi, I think kind of the same thing's happening. It sounds angry. What, what's going on here? What is this? What are these words? They, they come and they, they sound, this doesn't sound compassionate. This sounds harsh. And you read through a passage like this and you think, what is Malachi doing? Well, first of all, Malachi is addressing the priest, the religious leaders, those who should know better. And these words that Christine just read, there's a very specific target market for it. He's going after these corrupt religious leaders, yet there's something that we can learn from this rebuke. If you catch some of the words that that happened, but we'll kind of go through them uh, today. And as we've been kind of going through Malachi, today I just want to give some some thoughts on this passage as we continue through Malachi chapter 2. We're reminded that Malachi is writing for two reasons. He's writing to this uh, to this culture for a couple of reasons, uh, this target market. He says well, one of them is to correct and reform some of the religious and social abuses of the day. And this passage in chapter 2, here's what's happening. But he also writes to rekindle the fires of faith in the hearts of a discouraged people. And so some of it is kind of like, uh, it sounds harsh and like a rebuke. And then others of it is to say, fall back in love with God. Let's get back on track and let the the heart of faith just be rekindled. The fires of, of faith. And in this writing from Malachi, there's seven disputes that we've talked about the last few weeks. The first was there was a dispute, a dispute about God's love. And we talked about how the God's, God loves us. And, and this book of Malachi opens up with this, I have loved you statement. So the, the banner over the entire book is, is under the banner of God's love. And we talked about how we want to be preoccupied with God's love this year. That we would allow God's love to consume our thoughts that we prioritize our lives, this identity that we have in God's love. And last week, the second dispute breaks out about one of honor, where he says, you have not honored me. And they're like, how have we not honored you? And we talked about, what does it mean to honor God, to preoccupy our mind with with honoring God, with worshiping God, with giving God our best? The third dispute is found here in chapter 2. Chapter uh, 2, verse 1 says, Now you, priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because I have not resolved, you have not resolved to honor me. So last week we talked about honor and here they say this. God says, take, listen, take this to heart. Uh, 
Another translation says, to lay this upon your heart to honor God, because when you don't, the blessings would become curses. You think, how does a blessing become a curse? How can something great become bad? Have you ever owned a boat? Do you know someone who's ever owned a boat? They desire a boat, they want a boat forever, and then they finally get a boat. The old uh, uncle wisdom says, what are the best two days in a boat owner's life? The day they buy the boat and the day they sell the boat, right? But God warns of blessings that become curses here. And, and, and that could maybe take different forms, but, but we'll kind of get into why all of a sudden there's this reversal of the things that I'm, I'm giving you will be something that, that is no longer seen as a, as a gift, but a, a curse and a burden, it says, listen and take serious. If you do not honor God, these blessings would become curses. And then in verse 3, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants and I will smear on their faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. Christine's like, you're not really going to make me read that, are you? <laughs> Did you catch what just happened? Did you catch what Malachi says? I, I, when I first read this, this passage, I like called three of my pastor friends and I'm like, I've never seen this before. You're not going to believe what God does when he's angry to these priests. What do you do with that? And they're like, what are you going to entitle your sermon? And I'm like, I don't know. But it has to be something with this passage. And, and I will take, smear on your faces the dung of your festival sacrifices. Talk about harsh. What in the world is going on? As I was reading that, I'm like, what is God up to? What is going on? And what does this word actually mean? So, you know, I did a word study in Hebrew on dung. Interesting. Um, but what I found is that it's actually kind of like the entrails of the animal sacrifices. It's gross. But it's something that is an internal that has been now put on the outside, and God is going to take this and wipe it on their faces for all to see. This last year, um, I had kind of like a bucket list item come up. And I usually get like one good one a year. Like last year, I, I wanted to run a marathon, so I ran like a half marathon. Um, this year, though, I, I just had this desire that I wanted, to, I wanted to, to go bow hunting and bring down a deer with a bow and arrow. I just, oh, I, someone's like sad about that. I, uh, I, I felt like <laughs> my primal manhood, I was like, I, I feel like I have to do this at some point in my life. This is one of the oldest occupations on earth. Um, and, and I have a brother-in-law uh, who's a bow hunter and a good friend uh, who's a bow hunter, and so I was like, I want to go out sometime with them and, and do it. And, and so they, they went out this weekend. Uh, a bunch of them are, are out right now, and they invited me, and they're like, we're going to go camping kind of up north in Seven Springs. We're going to do some bow hunting. If you want to come, this would be a good time to do it. Hunting season's almost over. And I'm like, oh, cool, sweet. I just go up for the day, and they're like, well, we're camping overnight. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll come camp. And I, I'm not like a big camper. Like, uh, this is the... With the Jim Gaffigan thing, I'm what you call indoorsy. Uh, and so when people go camping and ask me to go camping, I'm like, you mean like to the beach? Yeah, cool. But no, they're, they're going camping. So I'm already like out of my element, kind of uncomfortable. And I go up there yesterday or Friday knowing that we're going to camp out. And I don't have like any gear, you know. I don't really know. What, but I'm thinking I'm going to enjoy this and I want to get into this. I want to become like a bow hunter. And we're, we go up on this mountain and we're walking and we're kind of tracking a couple deer. And as we're going, um, I'm like, so what happens if we actually get a deer? And my brother-in-law's like, well, we, we gut it, we cut it open, we gut it, and take all the entrails out, 
and then we hang it up high in a tree where an animal can't get it, and it'll be cold enough tonight that it'll be fine, and then tomorrow we'll take it back into town. And I'm like, we do all that? And he's like, yeah, just right here. And I was like, oh, I thought we'd just like, drag it back into Walmart, and they'd do it for you. <laughs> like, we're doing, he's like, well, what do you think all the knives are for? And all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know if I want to catch a deer. <laughs> like, like, I get really quizzy around blood, and this is what's really happening? This is, like, barbaric. What are we thinking? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah. So kind of went up there, and, and of course, we don't see any deer. It, but I was, I was thinking about that even as I was, this idea of the entrails of an animal, how disgusting that would be. There's some people in this room who are, are hunters who are like, dude, get over it. And there's other people who are like, you're right. This is so terrible. God says, I'm going to take the entrails of these animals that have been sacrificed and put them out on you, and everyone's going to be able to see it. It's going to be something that they're absolutely disgusted by. Harsh words. What is God talking about here? What in the world is going on? Then he goes on to say, And you will know that I have sent you this warning, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace that I gave them uh, to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many away from sin. Here's the covenant. Here's what you're supposed to be. This covenant that I've, I've given you as my people, as representatives of me here on earth, is you will, be, you, you will give life and peace to others. When they encounter you, life and peace as you represent me here on this earth. Because of the reverence and awe that you live in of me, this honoring me, this, this worship. What, what he's saying here is, is there something authentic that I desire from you that is life-giving to everyone that you come in contact with? And that's not happening. Something's going on inside of you, and, and this honoring and this worship that you're giving to me, I'm not interested in your rituals. I'm interested in your heart, what's going on inside. And, and when, when you're honoring me in such an authentic way, it's like life-giving and peace-making to people that you come in contact with. And this is the covenant. When you, when you live this way, it's like life. It's, it's, it's peace because you live in reverence and awe. There's an old Catholic priest that became a professor that became a social worker named Henry Nouwen. And a really smart guy, super intelligent, wrote a lot of great books, taught at places like Notre Dame and Harvard and Yale, Ended up spending kind of the, the end of his life working in a, in a facility that worked with uh, people who had de- developmental disabilities up in Ontario, Canada. And he talked about this idea of, of us being givers of life and peace. As, as we have this relationship with God, as he molds our heart, he molds our actions into life and peace-giving people. Out of the authentic relationship with God. People encounter God through us. And he says he would kind of do this little practice of of spiritual development. It was a a time of reflection and questioning that he would do. And here's the questions he would ask himself, and I think he would offer them to us too. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? 
Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? I must trust the little bit of love that I sow now will bear many fruits in this world. I love those questions. This covenant that we have with God as we represent God as his people here on earth, are we life-giving? Do we offer peace? Are we good news to people we come in contact with? This covenant, life and peace, reverence and awe, and then nothing false, upright and turned many away from sin. These are leadership principles. God's saying as my people that, that you would get life reverence and awe. I mean, nothing false about you. There's something authentic that would happen here. On uh, Facebook, last couple of weeks, there's been a fun challenge going on called the 10-year challenge. Anyone partake in it? 10-year challenge. And here's what the 10, it's, a, it's an aging challenge. And what, what social media has been doing is we want to see kind of how people are aging and, uh, and kind of bring, you know, attention to the fact of, of, of aging, you age well, or you age with dignity. Or, so like people will, will post a photo from 2009 and then 2019. I took the aging challenge. Look how much I've changed. Look how different I am. And uh, kind of going around all social media. Um, so I was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so I go and pull up some pictures from 2009 and then go and pull up some pictures from 2019. And I compare them and I'm like, ooh. I don't know if I'm going to post these. <laughs> like, I am not aging well. I'm sorry, Marcy. I'm not aging well at all. I, I can't post these. Like, people that are posting, it's like, they look better after 10 years. And, and I was kind of, like, looking at, at my pictures and noticing, I went from looking, I'm, I'm 36 years old, and I went from looking like I was 25 to 45 in, like, a three-year period. I don't know what happened. It was like... My body was like, we're going to skip the 30s and just hop on up to the 40s. Um, and so I was like, well, I obviously can't post this because uh, there, there's nothing good that will come from this. And my honorary friends will let me have it. I'm going gray. I've lost hair. Yeah, I'm just not the same. And as I, as I was kind of like, you know, you can see all these different like 10-year challenges and it's fun to kind of see how people have aged. Um, Slate Magazine put out an article saying, do you, do you notice that? All of the pictures 10 years later, the person looks better than they did 10 years before in almost every photo. And, and whatever, whatever people post, it, 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 it's one of those things where it's kind of like a humble brag, you know, like look at how I'm, and, and, and rightfully so, like our, our hope is that we're growing as individuals. Maybe we're better looking than we used to be. We're more put together. We're more established. You don't get someone who like posts like, hey, look how much weight I've gained, or look how much hair I've lost. You know, like, and, and what this article was saying is that there's nothing wrong with that. Like, like, there's nothing wrong with this humble brag. But what's interesting is that social media has changed the way that we think about how we present ourselves over the last 10 years. We, we've actually gotten better at how we manage our image. We've gotten better at what we let people see. We've gotten better at taking photos of ourselves. It used to be like something that models would always know how to do these different model poses. But because we've been on social media, because we've been taking photos for so long, we've naturally known like how to like what angle to tilt our head, what clothes to wear, what lenses to put on, uh, to, on, on, the, on the photo to make it look better. 
And again, it's not like a good thing or a bad thing, it's just an observation of culture is because of this social media, we've learned to manage our image well. And we live in a culture that likes to present the best about ourselves, and if that 10-year photo looks like what mine looked like, you just don't post it. But what Jesus, or what Malachi is doing is he's talking about authenticity here and our relationship with God from like, this is 2,500 years ago. We live in a culture where it's harder and harder to be authentic because we have these abilities, these controls to manage our own image, to manage how we're presented, to manage, and there's, again, nothing wrong with that, but what it means is that in all of our relationships, it's, it's harder to strive for authenticity. Even in our relationship with God, we have to be aware how culturally we've just been programmed to say, I want to manage how I'm presented here. It's something we need to be aware of. That God's people, there's nothing false. There's nothing that we're hiding. We're authentic. We're saying, this is who I am. And I, I think what's going on here with this, this dung that gets pulled out of the, the animals, the entrails, and wiped upon their faces, it's almost like God's saying, I want to know what's going on inside of you, and that's what I want people will see, and that's what people will eventually see. The words he reserves for the Pharisees are whitewashed graves. On the outside, they're clean, they're pristine. On the inside, they're rotting bones. And here he's telling the priest. This is unauthentic worship. You're going through the motions. You're not giving me the best. You're putting on a show. And deep inside, you're rotting. And I'm going to take the deep inside things that are rotting and put them on the outside. The blessings turn to curses. Eventually, people will see what's really true. There's something that will be revealed here that's true. And there's this warning to them. When I think about our lives and how we live in relationship with each other, what's going on inside comes out. Nothing false, upright, turned many away from sin. And he goes on, for the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. People seek instruction from his mouth, but you have turned away from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. Why do we want to be authentic people as we follow Jesus? Because when we're not, we just become hypocrites. And the world picks up on that pretty quickly. And it's something that could be off-putting to others. I think this is something we should, as a church, be aware of and concerned of. Let's live lives of authenticity. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways and have shown partiality in matters of the law. They've lost their way in this passage and they've caused others to stumble. What is this warning from Malachi about? What do we do with it? We're being called to authentic lives. We want to be preoccupied with God's love. We want to be preoccupied with honoring God. And this year, we want to be preoccupied with that honor being authentic. Truly, from what's coming, from what's inside of us is going to come out. Do we live authentically in our relationships with God and each other? He talks about that's the fruit of it. Verse 10. 
We do, do we not all have one Father? This is the third dispute. Do, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? The third dispute is about this idea of faithfulness to each other and to God. Be preoccupied with authentic faithfulness in our lives this year. Are we authentic? You can't just say, oh, I'm going to be authentic or I'm going to be faithful. This is something that has to be lived out every single day. Authentic faithfulness. One of the things that I think is helpful for us is to kind of examine ourselves when it comes to our relationship with God, how that affects our relationship with other people. To be truly authentic is to say, I'm going to ask some really uh, reflective questions about how I'm living. And I've found that the Psalms, the prayers of David, help us do that. And one of the things I wanted to do today is before we move to a time of communion, when we're thinking about this idea of being preoccupied with authenticity and faithfulness, with being truthful in our lives and our relationship with God, I want to read this psalm. And it's a psalm of reflection. It's a psalm about God searching our hearts, knowing what's really on going on inside of us. And as we move to communion today, my challenge and my hope is that we would say, Lord, Reveal the things that are inside of me that need to just be removed. The things that I'm not living in reality, the things that I'm hiding, so that I can authentically love you and be in relationship with other people. And I want to read this Psalm 139. And then when I get to the end of it, the last two verses, I'd love for us to repeat it together. As a, as a prayer of examination, as a prayer of reflection, on our own hearts, what's going on inside. So if you would stand with me and maybe just hear these words, just to listen and to reflect. Maybe you want to even close your eyes as I read this psalm. And then the last two verses I'll, I'll tell you and we'll read them together. And this will we'll move into communion. But here's the, uh, the words of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is wonderful to me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is a light as light to you. For you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. You know that full well. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me to be. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verses 23 and 24, let this be our prayer today. If we would read this with me. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Let us bring this prayer before the communion table today. That this year we would be preoccupied with authenticity and faithfulness to God and to each other. That we would be bringers of life and peace in everything that we do. We celebrate God's work through the communion table. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. All the ways that we miss the mark, all the ways that we are broken, all the ways that we are, 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 are sinful people, the grace of God comes. The person of Jesus dies on the cross for us. The juice that we take represents the blood of Christ that was shed, that washes away all of our dirt, that would wash away the entrails that's been wiped on us, even. We come today to the table with this commitment. Let us be authentic. Let us be faithful as we connect with God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for this book, Malachi, these strange ancient words that are sometimes hard to understand. And yet we see that you are calling your people to more, not because you are just this strict ruler, Lord, but because you you know what's best for us and you desire what's best for us and you want to use us as your people to bring life and to bring peace. And we know these corrections that you, you call us to, Lord, are because of your love. You don't just abandon us. You desire us to live, to be the kind of people that you've created us to be. So we come to you now, Lord, the desire to be authentic and faithful. We know it's not easy but we would ask that you would give us grace and strength to do it. And that because of it, Lord, this church would just be a faithful witness in this community. That others would come to encounter you through encountering us. We give you this time. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.